Welcome to Ventures in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association, with me, Dr. Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have over 50 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 11th of October 2021 and this is episode 226. On today's Dispatches podcast, Professor Tim Grady, Professor of History at the University of Chester, talks about his research into German Jews during the Great War. Tim spoke to me from his home in Cheshire. Tim, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Well, thanks, Tom. I mean, thank you very much for the invitation. It's um, it's a delight to have the opportunity to have a bit of a chat about my own research. Um, I'm currently Professor of History at the University of Chester, um, but my interests in this subject go back uh, much further. Really. So back in 2003, I, I wrote my PhD at the University of Southampton on the history of German Jews, uh, German Jewish soldiers in the First World War, and really concentrating on how they've been remembered. So how how people thought about their experiences um, and their wartime service after the event, really, and tracing that through until the 1980s. Now, I published that as a book in 2011, and then I came back Back to the subject with a second book in 2017 and I concentrated more on the history of German Jews during the war itself so trying to write a big history of the variety of war experiences um, that German Jews had during the conflict 1914 to 18. Um, anyway I suppose you were asking really as well how how I came to this this subject so I think it was when I was doing my master's study which was also at Southampton University and I was reading George Mosse's book Fallen Soldiers with um, you know, Real, really important study and it really really took me when I was reading it and Mosse well just in a few places just kind of aside Mosse talks about the fact that he says at one point right German Jews they weren't able to remember their war dead after the conflict um okay and then you get further on in his book towards the end of his book and he mentions that the names of German Jewish soldiers were removed from war memorial of the Nazis and that's what immediately got my thinking was well there's two things going on here names removed but also not able to remember and, it, and I thought well there's got to be a much bigger history here. There's got to be something else going on, much more complex history to try and unpick. And that's really got me on the on the road to um, exploring this vast and complicated history much further. So why do you think this subject's important? Oh, <laughs> lots of reasons really, Tom. Um, well, when I first approached it, there was not a great deal written on the subject. Um, certainly nothing really in English. There were, there were small bits written in German, but very little in English. So when, when I approached this subject, I was, I was thinking, OK, well, firstly, um, we need to know a lot more about the lives of German Jews and afterwards. Um, that's an important in itself for trying to, I suppose, recover these experiences. But also, I think it's really crucial to try and diversify somewhat our understanding of the First World War and to bring in other voices and other lives. Um, and that in itself is, is one important aim. But when it comes to the German Jewish soldiers who were persecuted during the 1930s, many of the German Jewish veterans would have did suffer the same fate as other Jews under the Nazi regime, i.e. they were persecuted, um, they were forced out of Germany, they were sent to Eastern Europe, and and to their deaths, either in the fields of 
Eastern Europe or in camps in Eastern Europe. So I think there's a real importance here to try and rebuild and reconstruct these war experiences that were so crucial to people's lives um, and were forgotten as these people were murdered. Um, so I think there's an important point here to reconstruct lives, put these lives back home that have been lost. Um, but I've also been very, very... Um, very minded the whole time to write this history of German Jews during the First World War and after, not just as some kind of prehistory of the Holocaust, but also to do this kind of reconstruction of, of what the war meant to German Jewish soldiers at that time. I think so to give us a bit of background, can you give us the, can you give us an idea of the size of the German Jewish community for the war and what their sort of economic status was and what sort of parts of Germany did they live in? Right, yeah. Um, so the Jewish community in Germany um, numbered before the war somewhere in the region about 550,000 up to 600,000. So so in this kind of ballpark, it's, re- it's, it's a, it's a sizable community, but also relatively small in the greater scheme of things within Germany. So we're talking about less than 1% of the population. In terms of the Jewish community as itself, I would say what really, really um, characterised it at this time is diversity. So we're not dealing with one community, we're dealing with a multitude of different Jewish and we're dealing with a whole range of Jewish lives within these communities. So it's it's a diverse community and I think that's crucial. Now it's diverse in terms of um, urban, it's a it's urban setting, so we've got big communities in major centres such as Hamburg, Cologne, and the, the largest, in, unsurprisingly, in Berlin. But then there's also rural communities too, further south in particular in Germany. Um, we've got diversity in terms of religious outlook. So orthodox communities being joined by increasingly more liberal communities through the 19th century, um, which leads to a whole range of different synagogues in most towns and cities. Um, we've got East European Jewish immigration coming into Germany through the 19th and continuing into the 20th century, and that's diversifying communities still further. And then you've got polit- different kind of political leanings. We've got assimilationist groups, Zionist groups within Germany. Um, and then we've got a growing number of Jews who are converting to Christianity and leaving the commu- Jewish community entirely. So my real point there is I think when looking at the communities it is to think about the diversity of, and to think a multitude of different Jewish lives in different Jewish communities at this time. So so how were Jews regarded in Imperial Germany before the outbreak of war? I'm sort of thinking about how, how they were how they were perceived by politicians, the media and maybe the wider society. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a large question um, and obviously one that historians have uh, for a long time um, looked into and, and written about and come to, to a variety of conclusions. But I, I guess what we can say is that technically um, German Jews received full emancipation with the unification of Germany um, after the Franco-Prussian War in 81. So in, on paper and in, in the fullest sense, sense of things, German Jews had full right responsibilities as other, any other citizens of Germany. But what one finds is that the reality on the ground was probably quite different. Um, so Jews found themselves restricted and discriminated in terms of careers, career choices, um, opportunities in universities. They would have struggled, for example, to, to find a place in in student fraternities at German universities. But I, I suppose what's most relevant perhaps actually to our discussion here is um, when it comes to the officer corps. So again, in theory, technically, um, German Jews could become officers and um, in the German army. Um, but this never happened. On the eve of the First World War, there were no German Jewish officers. And this was in stark contrast, say, to uh, events in Aust- Austria, Hungary, where there were Jewish officers serving. 
Um, one example, for example, is uh, a man called Albert von Goldschmidt Rothschild, who was a wealthy young man, fully qualified, had all the kind of stand-ins to make the officer corps. He put an application in, and he was even supported by the Chancellor of Germany at this time to become an officer. But his application is just turned down. And why is it turned down? It's turned down because of his Jewish background. That's never stated, it's just said he's unsuited. But this is really the experience of a lot of German Jews, in not just in the officer corps, but in a variety of professions in Imperial Germany. For some reason, you don't make the grade. And the reason is because you're Jewish. That's never said because technically everybody's treated the same. So there's, I suppose, what we conclude conclude from that is there's an anti-Semitism that is driving opportunities, and this goes alongside more outspoken anti-Semitism, which at that time in Europe rife, not just in Germany but other European too. So how did um, Jews and Jewish communities respond to the outbreak of uh, war in August 1914? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure as um, as you know, and as it's been much discussed, there's there's this big debate uh, that's taking place about the extent of enthusiasm, um, war enthusiasm in Germany and other countries in August 1914 uh, and the end of the July crisis too. Now, again, if you look at things straight out, German Jews um, seem to be very supportive of conflict, and it could almost be classed as war enthusiasm that Jews were were out there um, showing their support, not necessarily flag flag waving perhaps, but they certainly seem to be back in the conflict. So you see um, notices come out from the main Jewish organisations, published in in Jewish newspapers, but also in the mainstream press, saying, look, go out, do your duty, back this conflict, um, go out and volunteer too if you can. And if you look at the accounts or memoirs of of many um, German Jews from the time, but also after 1945, there's often some kind of mention there that, yeah, when the war started, I rushed down and I did try and follow. So there does seem to be, at least on the surface, kind of public backing of the war from the Jewish communities that, that matches and mirrors other German experiences. Um, but I suppose the question here would be, why why do that? Um, I think like many Germans, Jews were, Jews were of the opinion, look, the country's under threat, we need to defend it, and we're going to do our bit. So that that's a drove people to, to to volunteer perhaps and back the conflict. The fact it's against Russia, it was a bit of a bonus too, because the, the Russians, of course, had uh, long persecuted Jews. Um, so there was a bit of an opportunity here for revenge and to protect Russian Jewish. So that, that was a draw. Um, and then you've got added to this, the Kaiser made a big speech right at the start of the conflict where he called for unity. And he said, you know what? We, we I, I don't recognise political divisions anymore. I only recognise Germans. Now for a community, diverse community that had experienced persecution that had felt itself questioned of its place in Germany this seemed to be a great opportunity you know, we've, we've got the opportunity here to be united as Germans all we've got to do is do our bit so that, that was kind of a draw as well but I think what one should be careful of and what, what is probably worth adding here is that of course some of this some of this enthusiasm obviously hides other responses and other reactions that there were a lot of Jews in Germany who like other Germans were afraid worried at the start of the conflict um, got Jews who are from Eastern Europe, from Russia, who've come into Germany, and they're obviously very concerned because their citizenship and their place in Germany is being questioned. So there's also a great deal of concern to start the conflict. There's a public face of support, I think, behind that, a lot of, uh, a lot of worry. So what was um, the German-Jewish contribution to the war effort on the home front? Well, I suppose that as, as the war as the war progresses and becomes increasingly a total war, becomes increasingly total for a lot of Germans, German Jews find themselves a part of this kind of total 
brutality of the conflict, I guess, at home. Um, we see, well, we see from very early on, actually, some prominent Jewish names, Jewish figures being involved in leading the war efforts at home. So most prominently in this regard, and, and often gets mentioned, is the role of Walter Rathenau, who was, um, well, a multitude of interests, intellectual, industrialist with the AEG that his father had founded, um, and of course, later Germany's foreign minister after the First World War. But anyway, um, 1914, Rathenau sets up the War Raw Materials Department or Division, which was an attempt to try and secure resources for Germany, because of course, there's this problem of trying to get in materials that are going to be essential for the war effort, particularly when you get the blockade being placed on Germany. So his efforts there, Cure Material, uh, ensured that in industry and the war effort in home, and he was, he was at the head of that, he's the one who set this up, initiative. Um, other prominent German Jews, such as the shipping magnate Albert Barlin, he was instrumental in curing food, in trying to get food, keep those supplies coming into Germany too. So there's big efforts here. But then I suppose if you go beyond that and you think of ordinary lives and ordinary people's experiences too, um, German Jews, German Jewish women, I suppose, often involved in setting up soup kitchens, establishing soup kitchens, home front, town, um, volunteering for the Red Cross, serving at railway stations as troop trains pass through. Um, some of the local communities set up or gave gave up buildings, communal buildings for hospitals, the, for the wounded. Um, rabbis dedicated their times to visit POW camps to serve Jewish prisoners that had captured, brought to Germany. Uh, in Cologne, the Jewish community's library was given over for refugees from Belgium coming to, to the city. So the experience at home and the home front was mirrored, I suppose, a lot of the experiences of other Germans. German Jews find themselves fully in this conflict, both ultimately, as with many Germans, whether they like so, it. Turning to the, the um, military forces, what was the sort of um, experience and service of Jews in the various armies that, that uh, made up the forces of Imperial Germany? Okay, yeah. Um, now, German Jews served in on, on land, in the army, served at sea, navy, and also in the, the, the Young Air Force too. So we see um, German Jews serving across the board on the Western Front, Eastern Front. On all, all fronts of the conflict, German Jews are involved. In, the, in terms of raw statistics, the estimate would suggest that we're, we're talking about up to about 100,000 German Jews who serve in, in one field or another in the military. Now, that's not everybody on front line. This would be German Jews in, in you, and that could be in a rain role. Okay. Of the around 12,000 German Jews lost their lives now. Many German Jews were decorated uh, for their service, Iron Cross, second class, first class. Um, and there's there's been a lot a lot written both then after the war in terms of uh, uh, heroic experiences or important experiences of the soldier. Um, a lot was made at the time, a lot was written about at the time of the service of Ludwig Frank, who was the first um, MP to Member of Parliament to lose his life during the conflict. Now, Frank was a, an SPD member, so Social Democratic Party Member of Parliament. He didn't need to fight because I think he was about 40 years old at that time, but he volunteered to fight. First Member of Parliament to lose his life, Frank, and he's also um, Jewish too. So that became quite an important story for Jewish communities um, and for the history of the 
War Two. After the war, well, actually, I think during the war that he started to do his research into this, um, a man called Felix Teilhaber produced quite a lavish pamphlet outlining the experience of Jewish pilots in the conflict. And, and he had lots, it's loads of great images, pamphlet he put together, but it shows um, Jew, Jews doing dogfights and the like in the air and puts it all together. And this is a kind of wonderful record of Jewish air service in the conflict. And if you turned, I suppose, to the, the Navy too, you'll find the experience of much smaller experience so it should be added of, of Jews um, in, in submarine warfare or on surface uh, surface um, warfare too so j- basically in short German Jews are experiencing the war wherever the war is being fought. Now did anti-semitism in Germany uh, increase during the, in the war and if so why? This is an important question and actually it follows on from the statistics I've just spoken about there I think one of the one of the difficulties here one of the problems is rather problematic actually just to look at Jewish war experience in terms of statistics because during the conflict statistics of service become the basis of anti-Semitic anti-Semitic attack against German Jews um, and against the Jewish community now as the war goes on anti-Semitism increases and increases considerably now um, accusations of shirking not one not doing their bit start to spread and this actually comes to a head in Germany during the summer of 1916 now during the summer of 1916 increasing the number of uh, letters reached the Prussian Minister of War in Berlin. A lot of these letters were assigned anonymously, um, but there was a kind of one line going through them that could be read from, and that was the accusation that um, Jews were not really serving, that they were somehow avoiding service. They'd be kind of like things like a helpful kind of letter suggesting that, oh, I just wanted to drop drop in that there's a man who lives up the road, a Mr Cohen, who, mm, he looks very healthy, but he seems to be working in his father's department store, what have you just thought you might want to know there there'd be a kind of um it may not mention that this person was jewish in the letter but the implication there now the prussian minister of war had sat on these letters for quite a while but then decide something has to be done about this and decides in his wisdom that he's going to have an investigation and so he's going to investigate how many jews are actually serving in the military and to do this in a completely unsubtle way a questionnaire is issued and this questionnaire is sent to all commanders in the field who for the job then of having to write down how many Jews are serving with them, how many Jews have died, how many Jews have been decorated. And this is what I'm saying about statistics and why these statistics become quite important. Um, and then to return the data back to Berlin. This becomes known as the Jewish uh, the Jewish census. So it's a census of Jewish personnel and military. Highly, highly problematic. Definitely antimic. There's no census of how many Catholics are fighting. There's no census of how many Protestants are fighting. And what makes it even more problematic is that the result are never released so all the data comes in the results are never released and because the results are never released this means that anybody can impose their own narrative on it and and semites in the right and uh, political right in germany then start to say well clearly the results must show da 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 that this Jews are shirking, they must confirm this. So there becomes a battle statistics really as a result. It it opens up the idea and it gives official sanction to the idea that Jews are not served correct numbers and not die in correct numbers either. And it's a highly, highly problematic and very dangerous moment. Um, why does it? I suppose why does this come about? Well, a lot, a lot 
a lot of reasons behind it. But I think as the war goes on, divisions that already existed in Germany start to open up. So the longer the war goes on, the more people in Germany are are suffering, particularly at home from food shortages. The more despondency there is in Germany, the fact that this hasn't been a short war. It's going, how's it going to end? What are the war aims now? All these div- debates, all these problems, all these issues divide society, split society up. And with these internal divides, people are continually looking for others to 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 blame. Bavarians blaming Prussians and Prussians blaming Bavarians and um, suspicions over troops from the border regions of Germany um, and suspicions towards Jews as well. And th- this is what filters in. So we're getting a sort of chasm opening up in society that already exists, but the pressures of war are widening them much more, I would say. And Jews come out the worst from... Just as an aside, d- did you ever find what the census showed? The census itself was... Um, there's only bits of it left, right? So the main data of the census was lost in World War Two, and a lot there was bombing raids on on Germany, and a lot a lot of the records of the uh, German military in the First World War are lost. It's lost then. There's, there's bits of bits of the census that still remain, but I think far more important is German Jews, um, led by the Jewish War Vet Association, start publish their statistic of of what had happened during the First World War, um, and it comes out in a big book in the early 30s where they try and list every single soldier who died in the conflict as a kind of complete record of this war experience. So the actual materials are, are, are not there, published, but you get a kind of battle of statistics going on through the 1920s, with the Jewish War Vet Association publishing what it deems to be the complete record, but also a counter-publication from anti-Semites on the right, who publish what they deem to be the complete record, which shows something completely different, um, that there's only a handful of Jews. So it becomes statistical battle, but it's all set off in the first place, I think, because of this 1916 cent fact. So we come to the end of the war and look at how the Jewish communities commemorate and memorialise their contribution in Germany's Great War. How did they do it? Oh, this is this is an important question again and a, a big one as well. I said, well, I said at the start that George Mosse had kind of implied that German Jews were kind of, I suppose, found it difficult to remember their war dead and they're pushed out of the the what he would call the cult of the fall at the end of First World War Two. But um, there was a lot more going on than that, and I think the key to trying to understand how German Jews and the Jewish dead were remembered is to consider different spaces. So if if you look at um, more Jewish spaces such as synagogues, cemeteries, you will find, you could find at least, um, memorials to the Jewish war dead within them. So a lot of synagogues had their own war memorials that were placed within them. Of course, the destruction of the synagogue um, under the Nazi pogrom 1938 led to the loss of war cemeteries too. Jewish, Jewish, sorry, not necessarily war cemeteries, but Jewish cemeteries actually contain their own waters, a lot of them. And you can still see these today, Hamburg, Berlin, We've got wonderfully maintained war cemeteries in the centre of the Jewish cemetery there that contain um, the dead who were buried within Hamburg or Berlin, similar cemeteries in Cologne and other cities too, who would have died in hospital home from. And these cemeteries, lines of graves, often with a central memorial too, became the kind of centre of Jewish remembrance were these cemeteries, where on annual remembrance days, the German Day of National Mourning, they would become the folk point of remembrance. 
Um, it was the Jewish War Veterans Organization, the Reich Association of Jewish Frontline Soldiers, often abbreviated to RJF. There was the forefront of a lot of these remembrance rituals. So that's the kind of uh, kind of it, uh, what was going on within Jewish spaces. But then I think it's also very important to point out that the Jewish War Dead were also remembered on town memorials, city memorials, school memorials, work memorials, and what have. You. So you find the names of the Jewish soldiers on a multitude of different um, memorials or remembrance books, plaques so on and so forth. Sometimes in Jewish spaces, sometimes in other German spaces. Um, thus, there's kind of multi-layered remembrance going on, or there was during the 1920s. And how did this change during the 1930s with the rise of the Nazi regime? So, um, there's a change. The change is with the rise of anti-Semitism, um, the breakdown of political order and the collapse of the Weimar Republic. But a lot of these changes are happening before Hitler comes to power in 33. So really from the late 20s on uh, in Germany, there's a kind of, there's a kind of resurgence of German memory of the war in the late twenties, where it becomes a much more debated, highly politicized, highly emotionally charged kind of memory culture develops in the late twenties. Some of this is on, I suppose, is linked to the Great Depression and the political um, the political problems associated with that for Germany. Some of it comes through with particular moments in Germany as well. So the release of the film All Quiet on the Western Front that leads massive debates in Germany about what the war's about as well. Um, and around this time, then, you get new war memorials. A lot of new war memorials start to be constructed in Germany. The most well-known one, I suppose, is the Tannenberg Memorial in East Prussia, um, which I think 1927 was initially ded dedicated, but it continued built. But when this was um, put up, Jews were not invited to the dedication ceremony. And what you see increasingly through the late 20s into the early 30s is that in this highly charged atmosphere, it becomes a kind of common pattern that memorials are, or those invited to dedication of memorials, are restricted. And quite often for memorials that have been pushed by right Jews are not invited and are not able to be part of the ceremony. Sometimes also those on the left are also banned. Come to so you start to get a sort of divided memory going different different places, different spaces that different groups go to. When we get um, after 1933 with the, the, the Nazis coming to power, these divisions just harden and, and Jews are increasingly written out of or out of Germany's memory culture. So Germany's Day of National Mourning is restructured. It becomes Heroes Memorial Day and, and Jews are not supposed to have any part of this. There's a brief respite or a brief moment of inclusion, perhaps one should mention, for as long as President Hindenburg is still alive. Hindenburg um, ensures that German Jews receive a new war medal that is issued in his name in 34. German Jews receive that, and they continue to receive into 35. So that, that's still going on. But after Hindenburg's death, um, the Nazi regime, you know, um, ensuring its place in power, it, it's removing internal enemies, it's becoming much stronger, much more confident. And the place and opportunities for Jews to be a part of a wider memory culture disappear. That is not to say that German Jews stop remembering their war dead, because it, within Germany, all the way and through to 1938, German Jews or small groups of German Jews still continue to remember their war dead. They lay wreaths on their war memorials in synagogues or in cemeteries each year. Um, they conduct their own parades within military cemeteries in Berlin, Hamburg. And those German Jews who managed, who, are, who fortunately managed to escape Nazi Germany, some of them even continue their own remembrance services and activities of the Jewish war dead of the First World War from exile. So from New York in particular, 
where you get a, a new Jewish War Veterans Association formed in exile in New York, which continues its activities all the way through until the 1970s and dedicates itself to the war dead of the First World War, even though they themselves have been forced out of Germany, for which they had originally fought. So it's a very complex story, as I say. And my final question, Tim, is where can people learn more about your work? Well, yes, thank you. Well, I've um, published two books on the subject. So I published... Um, the German Jewish, German Jewish Soldiers of the First World War in History and Memory with Liverpool University Press in 2011. And I published the book, a, which is called A Deadly Legacy, German Jews and the Great War with Yale University Press, which came out in 2017. Tim, thank you very much for your time. No problem. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.